This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Small Business Administration wants to raise the level of federal contracting dollars that go to small disadvantaged businesses by 50% over five years, a goal recently stated by President Joe Biden. For how SBA will help agencies get there, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with SBA's Associate Administrator for the Office of Government Contracting and Business Development, Bibi Hidalgo. That's been the big focus for us since uh, joining the administration. One of the biggest reasons why uh, I was excited to join, given the president's commitment to increasing that goal to 15%, and also the administrator's enormous commitment to ensuring that we reach all of the presumed disadvantaged groups within 8A contracting and overall SDB, small disadvantaged business contracting. To me, this is one of the most exciting times to be working on this issue. And my experience in this goes back 10 years, leading an effort at the White House under President Obama to meet the overall 23% goal for the first time in a decade, and then to move the needle on the four socioeconomic goals. So to be able to come back around 10 years later and figure out ways that we can not only increase this goal, but ensure that we're reaching more of the presumed disadvantaged groups within 8A in a meaningful way is really, really significant. One of the things that we've been working closely with the White House and OMB and several of the agencies is on category management which is a way to streamline contracts within the federal government, but it also has had the inadvertent impact of making it more difficult for small businesses to compete for opportunities. So that's been our big focus over the last several months is to figure out, working closely with OMB, how we can make the contract opportunities much more accessible as they were previously to small businesses and to ensure that buyers, we have 3,000 buying offices across the federal government, are leveraging the AA Sole Source Award again in a way that they had historically, given that this is a, a program that was created soon after the civil rights movement under the leadership and vision of Congressman Perrin Mitchell out of Baltimore. We are looking really hard to figure out how we can ensure that all the presumed disadvantaged groups, um, Black, Latino, Asian American, tribal, South Asian, are really getting access to opportunity. So category management is one place where we're working hard right now. And then as far as legislation, we've been working closely with the Senate Small Business Committee, Senator Cardin's team, as well as the House Small Business Committee, Chairwoman Nydia Velasquez's team, to ensure that we pass legislation fairly soon to ensure we get to that 15% goal within the next five years, as the president stated. So that's another piece as far as drafting legislation. And then as far as the 8A program itself, we're really excited that applications have gone up pretty significantly. We were concerned as we uh, were going from the transition team to SBA at the decrease in the number of 8A firms over the last 10 years. Now we're working hard to figure out how we can get it back to historic levels. And the firms have are listening. They're hearing what the president has said and they're applying and we're working our way back to historic levels of 8A firms in the pipeline. Another administration-wide priority that we are seeing play out in real time here is the administration's focus on improving diversity, equity, and inclusion in federal programs across the board. You know, I imagine that has an impact on SBA as well. 
what kind of DE&I work is, is SBA carrying out to meet this administration-wide goal? That is also a really exciting part of our work. We are connecting regularly with all the major stakeholder groups. This is a really important priority for the administrator and tapping into many of the groups that we work with closely during the Obama administration as well. So from the U.S. Black Chambers, U.S. Hispanic Chambers, Women in Public Policy, Asian American Chamber, we're connecting with a lot of organizations, uh, National 8A Association, National Association of Black Women in Construction. Anybody who wants to meet, we're arranging those meetings to talk about ways that we're trying to improve the process to make sure that contracting is much more accessible again and to hear what are some of the barriers that they are facing. We've been having conversations with National Urban League that uh, wanted to hear more about size standards. So across the board, we've opened our doors to make sure that we're hearing what the small business concerns are. We had a great meeting actually two weeks ago with the National Association of Veterans, um, the coalition, And they also brought up the issue of category management there as well, as well as the fact that, I don't know if you know, we're going to be receiving the Center for Veterans Verification Program from VA that was mandated in the Defense Authorization Act last year. And that's going to be a a major transfer over to our office in GCBD. So the administrator and I met with Secretary McDonough and his team to make sure that it's a seamless transfer and that we're meeting the needs of the veteran community and that when we also start certifying small disabled veteran-owned firms that it's a a fairly seamless process. Uh, Up until now they've been self-certified through VA so beginning in 2023 we'll be actually certifying SDVs as well. So those are all the ways we're trying to make sure that we have our ears to the ground in terms of what are the barriers for success and that we're closely uh, aligned working with all the socioeconomic groups. In terms of HubZone, we've been excited that the governors are now able to designate HubZone areas. And so a number of states have been reaching out to us. Illinois was the first that we approved where they are able to designate some rural areas as hub zones for a specific time frame, And that way we can reach more of the small businesses in those areas. That transfer from VA to SBA is a very big deal. Between here and 2023, are there any kind of you know major milestones in making that transfer successful? Or is it more of a, a one and done type migration? We have a working group right now with VA. Um, David Loins's team in government contracting is working very closely with the Osdebu team at VA. And so we have a timeline for how we want to integrate the systems and also for testing it out well beforehand. We want to make sure all of that is, is really well in place before we need to launch in 2023. Bibi Hidalgo, SBA's Associate Administrator for the Office of Government Contracting and Business Development, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including commander, 
Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean 
And you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters uh, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zell. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, 
it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.